Well, welcome to Epic, everybody. How is everybody doing this morning? Hey, are you excited to be at church today? Awesome, great. That's what I'm expecting out of our first service. Early risers, you're ready. Second service is still sleeping. So, you know, let's not have bad thoughts about them. They'll be here later and they'll be excited. So this morning, I'm glad that you're here because today we are going to revisit a series that we did a year ago called Four Flagler. And I told you last year that this is one of the most important series in the life of our church because it reveals the big vision that God has given us as a church. And so today I'm going to remind you of that vision. And I'm going to give you some updates on that vision. And then I'm going to invite more of you to be a part of that vision because we can't do this alone. It takes all of us coming together because this vision, I think, is so big. And again, it's been given to us by God. Now, if you are new with us, I think you came on a great Sunday. So if you're here on our campus or if you're watching online today, just checking in for the first time, I think you tuned in on a great day because today you're going to hear about the heartbeat of our church. And if you're looking for a church home, trying to figure out if this should be the place that you plant and and grow, then I think today's message and this series can help you answer that question. If you are not a Christ follower, Let's say that you lost a bet at work and you had to come to church because of that. Uh, Or somebody invited you to come to church and, uh, you know, they tricked you. You you thought you were going to the movie theater and and then you ended up here at, you know, at a middle school and uh, yet you're here and you're not a Christ follower yet. I think you came on a great Sunday because today you're going to hear about the heart of our God for you. And so I think today's message, this series, is great for everyone. Now, our theme verse for this series is found in my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. It's Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. It says this, since God is for us, who can ever be against us? I think that is such a powerful verse But that powerful verse has one big problem. Many people in our world don't believe that verse. Many people uh, don't believe that God is for them. And if they believe that God exists, uh, there are many people that think, you know what, I'm not even sure God exists, but if he does, he's probably not for me. He's probably mad at me. He's angry at me about something. He's disappointed in how I'm living, but he's certainly not for me. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. I think there's a a big gap between that truth and how people understand that truth and apply that truth to their lives. And I think that gap is caused by how we as Christ followers often don't do a good job of representing God to the world. Like we could do a better job of being for people because God is for people. And there are many people in the world that conclude that, you know what, it seems like Christians aren't for me. It seems like church isn't for me because we are, we are well known for what we're, we stand against. We're not well known for who we are for. And so people conclude in, in our world that, you know, if church isn't for me, if God, uh, if Christians aren't for me, then that must mean that God is not for me either. In addition to that, Uh, Many of us Christ followers have made it difficult for people who are trying to turn to faith in God. 
And that statement should sound crazy to us. You know, why would anybody make it difficult for somebody who's trying to come and, and find faith in, in their God? Why would anybody do that? Not sure why we do that, but that has been a thing that we have done ever since Jesus told his original disciples, go into the world and make more disciples. It's been happening for a very long time. And this morning, I want to introduce you to one of the first examples of that found in scripture. It's found in Acts chapter 15. So if you have a Bible with you and you want to flip over, you can. If you want to pull that up on your smartphone, you can do that as well. We'll have the verses that will come up on the screen this morning. But before we dive into Acts chapter 15, let me explain who some of the main characters are in this portion of scripture. So first we have the apostle Paul. And if you're not familiar with Paul, he's got this amazing story. He used to be known as Saul. And when he was Saul, he hated Christ's followers. He hated Christ. He did everything he could to end that Christian movement and persecute Christians. And then he met Jesus. And he was radically transformed by Jesus. And he went on from there to be one of the most influential Christ followers uh, beyond Christ himself to move Christianity around the known world. He's written much of the New Testament part of the Bible, and so we'll understand a little bit more of his story today. And then uh, Barnabas is another person in this story. And Barnabas was Paul's uh, missionary companion. His name means encouragement or encourager. So Barnabas came alongside of Paul and said, listen, I'll help you. And they went around starting churches in the, the known world at that time and leading people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and starting churches, and then they'd move to a new area, and and they'd continue to do that. So they were partners in ministry. Then we'll hear from the apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' original followers and one of his 12 disciples. And then finally, we'll hear from James, the brother of Jesus, who became a prominent New Testament church leader. Now, let me tell you how big of a deal that is, okay? Imagine, we talked about dysfunction in families a little bit last week. We talked a little bit about the possible dysfunction in Jesus' earthly family. Again, I put us in the spot of saying, hey, imagine what it must have been like to be one of Jesus' siblings and having a perfect brother, and you're not perfect, and, and you, know, you, you have to take the blame for all the stuff you do wrong. You can't blame it on Jesus, because he's perfect. And uh, imagine the, the tension that must have been there. And we understand from scripture that Jesus' siblings were not all that into believing that he was the savior of the world until his resurrection. After that, James became an early New Testament church leader. He went all in, and he believed who Jesus was, that he was the savior of the world. So we're going to learn from James today, and something specific that James says has shaped us as a church and why we do what we do. Again, we'll get to that in just a minute. As we read along, I'm going to pause and explain a few things, and uh, then we'll read a bigger uh, section of scripture And uh, then we'll unpack that after that. So Acts chapter 15, verse one says this, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, again, they were traveling around, uh, starting to, trying to start new churches. Some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now that word saved is a biblical term that uh, has to do with somebody putting their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So when somebody does that, when they die, they are saved from hell. 
they're saved for heaven. But these guys from Judea came along and they said, you know what, belief in Jesus is not enough. You have to follow that up with behavior, the right type of behavior. And what they were proposing to those people in that day was circumcision. They said, if you're a Gentile, someone who's a non-Jew, and you want to put your faith in Jesus, you have to be circumcised to be saved. If you don't get circumcised, your belief is not enough. So verse two continues and it says, but Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. They passionately disagreed with these men from Judea. Why? Because they understood what Jesus taught. They understood that Jesus explained that salvation and eternal life can only be attained through what he did on the cross for us. Not based upon our works, not based upon anything that we can try to do to earn that. It's a free gift. And Jesus explained that in John 3.16 to the religious leader named Nicodemus. And he explained, he said this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes, he didn't say everyone who behaves. He didn't say everyone who uh, shows up at church every Sunday and gets perfect attendance. He didn't say everyone who prays every day. He didn't say everyone who reads the Bible all the time. He says everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So Paul and Barnabas knew that. Paul went on to explain that in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. He said, God saved you by his grace when you, what's that next word? When you believed. Again, not when you behaved. He said, when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. If, if we could earn salvation based upon our good works, just think about what that would mean for Jesus. It, it would mean that Jesus would not need to die. He would not need to come to earth, go through crucifixion, that horrible death experience for us. He wouldn't have needed to do that. He would have come and said, try harder and you'll get there. But because we couldn't be good enough, Jesus said, I'll do it for you. I'll take your place on the cross. I'll pay your sin debt so that you can have a relationship with God. So salvation is based on belief, not behavior. Now, if we really believe what we say we believe, it should show up in our behavior. It should show up in how we act. It's not something we do to earn salvation. We don't try to behave to earn salvation. We get that through belief. But if we really believe what we say we believe, it should show up in our behavior and how we treat people, how we act with, with people, how we interact with the world around us. And if it doesn't show up in our behavior, we have to ask, do I really believe what I say I believe? Because it should impact how we live. So again, salvation is based on belief. And that's why Paul and Barnabas argued passionately with those men from Judea. Verse two continues. It says, finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way in, in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. Verse four says, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then 
some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Verse six, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? And this is an important statement. We believe that we are all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. We're all saved through his grace, again, not through our behavior. Verse 12 says, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood up, brother of Jesus, and he said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it is written. And James recites something that the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 45. He said, afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. He has made these things known so long ago. And then listen to what James says next. This is the influential thing that has shaped us as a church. Verse 19, he says, and so it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them uh, to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on a, and on every Sabbath for many generations. All the church leaders agreed together. Yes, that is the decision that we should make. That's what we should do. So they wrote this letter uh, to these Christians and they sent it in verse 31. It says, and there was great joy through the church that day as they read this encouraging message. And all the Gentile men ran home to their wives and said, guess what, honey? I don't have to get circumcised to follow Jesus. They were excited about that. So the early... New Testament church leaders said we should not make it difficult for people who are trying to find faith in God. We should not make it difficult. The problem is many of us as Christ followers have not followed that decision since that time. We have historically made it difficult for people to put their faith in Jesus. We do that through our hypocrisy, when we say one thing and we do another. We do that through our judgmentalism. We do that through what we expect of people who come to church for the first time or our church for the first time. We do that in ways that we don't even begin to understand. And we'll explore that a little bit this morning. But I think God wants us to stop making it difficult for people who are trying to find faith in 
our God. So over the past 11 years, we have worked hard at Epic uh, to fulfill that. We've worked hard to remove obstacles that we think keep people from uh, engaging a relationship with God. And I want to tell you a little bit about that this morning. We do that in some very purposeful ways. So first, we do that through our mission, our strategy, and our message. So here is our mission. Our mission is to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the greatest thing we can ever do for anyone, is to introduce them to Jesus, who can transform them, not just today, but transform them for all of eternity. Because without a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we die, we die. We die eternally. But God doesn't want that to happen. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we live for eternity. So leading people into a real relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing that we can do for anyone. And over the past 11 years, we have had the privilege of leading at least 695 people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is so incredibly exciting to me. It should be exciting to all of us. Um, Now, I don't say that to pat ourselves on the back. That's the mission that Jesus gave every church, every Christ follower. That's what we're supposed to be doing, is, is helping people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I am praying that God will help us reach 1,000 people in the next four years. By the time we turn 15, I would love for, for us to be able to say, you know what? God has allowed us to lead 1,000 people into that relationship with him. And guess what? We need your help to do that. We need You and I going into our community, talking to the people that we know and helping them understand what it means to have a real relationship with Jesus who came to transform our lives. Now, that's our mission. Our strategy is a little different. So every church should have that basic mission. You know, if you look at any church's mission statement, it's some form of that. But our strategy for how we do church would be different, would be unique based upon that church. So our strategy is this, to be a church for people who don't do church. Now, if you're new with us, you might think, what in the world is that all about? That's the goofiest thing I've ever seen. Like, I understand. I understand that's a little goofy. It has two meanings to it. The first meaning is this. We're not interested in just doing church. We're interested in being the church, like really being the church for each other and for our community, learning to live in ways that that God gives us in Scripture for how we should behave, how we should live, how we should model the belief that we so passionately hold. And so we want to learn how to do that. We want to be the church for our community. And the second part of that is we are after people who don't do church. Anybody know someone who doesn't do church? You might be holding your own hand up this morning saying, yeah, that's me. I meet people all the time in our community that say they don't do church. And I'll invite them to come to church and I'll say, no, no thanks. I don't do church. I say, great, we don't either. Love to have you. Love to have you come and experience what we're doing here. Uh, So if somebody has a bad church experience or they've got this bad idea of of what Christians are all about or what church is all about, uh, I want to invite them. And we do church specifically on purpose to reach those people. Again, I'll explain a little bit more of that in just a minute. So that's our strategy. Now, our message is this. God is for you and so are we. Again, too many people in the world don't believe that powerful truth from scripture. They think Christians are against them. And if God exists, God's against them as well. 
But God wants us to tell them and to prove that to them that God is for them by how we serve them. So we're, we're real purposeful about carrying that message into our world, and we hope that you'll do the same. So the way that we try to reach people who don't do church, uh, here's just a few examples of how we try to do that, and we're real purposeful about these things. But one environment that we're real purposeful about is our Sunday morning gatherings. Another uh, thing that we're very purposeful about is how we serve. So I'm gonna start with Sunday morning gatherings. When it comes to our Sunday morning gatherings, this is often the first experience that someone's gonna have with us in, in church world. And um, you know there are folks that come in every Sunday, we have someone brand new, either joining us online or we have someone coming on campus brand new. And I want you to think, if you didn't grow up in church world, I want you to think what it must feel like for a brand new person who doesn't have a church background, who doesn't have church experience to, to come to church, what that feels like. It can be nerve wracking. Like you don't know when you walk in, are people gonna talk to you? Are you gonna be made to feel weird? Are people gonna ask you to do something you don't understand? Are you gonna stand anything that happens? Are you gonna be put on the spot? There's all kinds of thoughts that go through people's minds. If you're not sure about that, I encourage you, next Sunday, go visit another church. Okay, don't do that next Sunday because we got a big series we're doing right now. So do that like after, after, after Easter, do that, okay? Um, but sometime when you get an opportunity, go visit another church and pay attention to how you feel when you walk in. When I'm not preaching, one of the things that I love and hate to do is go visit other churches. Why? Because I want to feel those butterflies in my stomach. I want to feel what it feels like to be a new person and wonder, is anybody going to talk to me? Is anybody going to care about me? Is anybody going to try to make me feel comfortable when I walk into this strange environment and I don't know how they do things around here? And that's how people feel when they walk in. So I want people to feel welcome. I want to remove some of those obstacles as quick as possible. Uh, one of the things that I'm very purposeful about, and many of us are purposeful about here, uh, is our connections team. We've got a great connections team that works really hard to welcome people that are coming in so that they know, hey, you matter. We want you to know you matter. We care about you. And uh, we would love to create an environment here where maybe you could take a step towards Christ. And we want to try to remove some obstacles where maybe you could find faith in God. Another thing that we're purposeful about on Sunday mornings is the clothes that we wear. Now, uh, you can see today I'm, I'm in a t-shirt and jeans and sneakers. I am most comfortable in uh, jeans and a t-shirt. And if it weren't cold outside, I wouldn't have this long sleeve t-shirt on. I just have the short sleeve t-shirt on. And the reason I wear uh, this kind of attire most often on Sunday, sometimes I wear a button-up shirt. Um, but the reason I dress casually on Sunday is because there are too many people in our community who think they can't come to church because they don't have church clothes. And I talk to those people. And I'll invite somebody to church and I'll say, you know, like I, I can't come to church because I don't have church clothes. And I tell them, listen, the clothes you're wearing right now are fine. Now, like God doesn't care what clothes that you wear. And then what I want is when somebody comes into church who's thinking like, I don't know if I'm wearing the right clothes when I come into church, I want them to come in and look up on stage and see me and go, oh, if he can wear that, I'm comfortable here. Like I could dress down. Now, if you're comfortable dressing up, great. Wear what you're comfortable in. But I don't want clothes to be an obstacle to somebody who's trying to come to God. Like imagine that from God's perspective that someone said, I didn't have church clothes. That's why I didn't find a relationship with you. Like, that's a horrible thing. 
I think God wants us to change that. Now, I think it's really important when we come to church that we wear clothes. <laughs> Beyond that, I'm not, I don't really care what kind of clothes you wear. Modesty would be great, but just wear clothes. That would be really good. We're purposeful about the songs that we sing. You know, the songs that you heard this morning are songs that you could turn on Christian radio and hear. We're purposeful about that because all week long, then, then someone driving around in their car could turn on the Christian radio and go, hey, I heard that on Sunday. And throughout the week, they could learn to worship God through the stuff that we're, the songs that we're singing on Sunday morning. We're purposeful about how we teach, specifically how we explain things. And uh, we Christians have come up with a language that has been called Christianese. We use these really big words like uh, sanctification and justification and substitutionary atonement. And if you don't know what that stuff means, then instantly you feel like an outsider. You feel like, well, I, like I'm not a part of the club. Like I don't, I don't understand what that stuff means. Now, there is nothing in scripture that we cannot teach about, but I think we gotta make it simple. We gotta explain it, we gotta break it down. I have kind of a simple mind. And so I work really hard to, to explain things to myself so that we can explain them together and everybody can understand and we can be insiders, not outsiders. So I think how we teach is very important as well. Also, when it comes to teaching, I talk a lot about my struggles and I do that on purpose. Uh, I talk about uh, some of my dysfunction in my life, some of the ways that I'm struggling towards God. Uh, if I have a fight with my wife, Tammy, guess what? You probably hear about it. I'll talk about it. Um, you need to pray for her because poor girl, you know, I like air our dirty laundry out in front of you. But I do that on purpose. And the reason is sometimes people put pastors on a pedestal. And if a pastor talks about a, a spiritual success or, hey, this is how you grow in your relationship with God, often people go, well, well, that must be easy for you because you're a pastor. Like you don't struggle with the same stuff that, that normal people struggle with. And I got to tell you, I struggle with the same stuff everybody struggles with. And when I talk about my struggles, I often find people who will say, you know what, if you can struggle your way towards Jesus, maybe I can too. So we're purposeful about being honest about our struggles when it comes to the difficult challenges that we have when it comes to our relationship with God as well. So we work hard to remove as many obstacles as possible on Sundays so new people can come and take a step towards God. We also try to reach people who don't do church through how we serve Serving is a major part of what it means to follow Jesus. We take that very seriously here at Epic. And Jesus said he came to serve, not to be served. And so what it means for us to follow Jesus is that we roll up our sleeves and we say, listen, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to wash your feet symbolically like Jesus washed his disciples' feet because he told his disciples, now go and do what I have done for you. And so that's the, the task that God has given us. That's why we go into our community. We serve through projects like 3G Sunday and 3G Saturday. We work with local partners in our community to help them do what they do and support them in, in serving our community the way that they do that. And we want our community not to just hear that we are for them. We want them to experience that. We want them to know that based upon a personal experience that they've had with us. And I think often only then will somebody be open to possibly putting their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So we're very purposeful, again, about how we serve. It's a great way to remove obstacles so people might take a step towards Christ. Now, I want you to hear an example of what we're talking about this morning. So uh, we have a, a church member that's been courageous enough to share her story about how we've removed some obstacles in her life 
so that she could take some steps towards Jesus. So take a listen to Julia's story. How I came to know Christ, it was really kind of a journey and it took a little while. And um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, so I'm from the Show Me State. Like I said, wasn't raised with religion and really had um, a little bit of a, gotta prove it to me. I'm very stubborn, I'm very, I can do it by myself, which is probably still my biggest struggle because I keep trying to get in there and take over instead of just letting God. So I'm gonna say in all areas of my life, the biggest obstacle for me is me. About the time that I started coming to Epic, you guys offered 40 days of prayer. And I thought part of my problem, I thought maybe I'm just doing it wrong. <laughs> maybe I just don't know how to pray. I'm gonna say, I don't really think there's a wrong way to pray, but I think that there is a better way to pray. And I think that that really helped me get there. So my advice to somebody who feels like they have obstacles or a little bit unsure about being all in with Jesus, give it a shot. You really don't have anything to lose, but I'm guessing that you'll see big changes if you go ahead and make the decision to be all in. The differences that it's made in my life are just, um, I mean, they're immeasurable. The changes in the past year, all around I'm in a better place. I'm, despite COVID, despite all the things to be nervous and upset and kind of hide, pressure intense about, much calmer. I mean, I don't know how I would have made it without Epic and without Jesus in my life this past year because, boy, if there's a year to test your faith, <laughs> this is the year to test your faith. This is it. This is the one. I just love Julia's story there. It's amazing to me as I've had some conversations with her about some of the obstacles that she had towards faith. And she told me she, when she was coming, um, she was coming thinking like, I don't know that I want to come. I'm going to be judged when I come. Like, I'm not going to know what's going on. I'm not going to understand things that are happening. And when we worked hard to remove those obstacles, she moved fast in her faith journey. She put her faith in Jesus. She got active in our 40 days of prayer, small group, so she could learn how to engage a deeper relationship with God. She started tithing, like very quickly. She began the journey of tithing, and that's, that's where we give 10% of our income back to God through a local church. And I know people who have been Christ followers for a very long time who still struggle with tithing. And she is a brand new believer that began that journey. Then she got baptized. She went all in, and she went all in quickly. And I think she's a great example of what it means and what can happen when we remove obstacles and not make it difficult for someone who's trying to find faith in Jesus Christ. And I think there are thousands of Julias in our community and surrounding communities, and they need us to help remove obstacles for them. And I'm asking for you to help us do that. Now, our four Flagler vision that we talked about last year and we're revisiting today is all about removing obstacles for people, and here's an update on that vision. So our Four Flagler vision has three key components, three key initiatives uh, that we are focused on. One is for our community, two is for our families, and three is for the future. Now, when it comes to being for our community, you may be surprised at this, uh, but when uh, we were on the journey of trying to figure out some of our community's greatest needs, 
we stumbled across a statistic that alarmed us. The statistic is this, that Flagler County has had the highest suicide rate or one of the highest suicide rates in the state of Florida for a number of years in a row. That shocked me when I came across that. And so that was one of the things that, that God used to say, hey, here's a problem in our community. Here's a need that our community has. And here's what I'd like you to do to, to meet that need. So uh, the, the way that I think God wants us to meet that need comes in, in two forms. So the first is we feel like God has called us to start a care network. We started that a year ago. We've got some great resources in our community and people need help getting connected with those resources. There is not one central place that somebody can go and find out what the resources in our community are. And so we have started that and we're slowly expanding that. But since last year, when we started this, we have helped over 80 families find the resources that they need and understand that they are cared for. So we've worked really hard at caring for those people in our community in their, in their times of need. We've also uh, have felt like God asked, has been asking us to start a counseling ministry to help meet some of the mental health needs and emotional needs of people in our community. And right now uh, we are providing biblical counseling. We are expanding our network of counselors in our local community and communities around us so that we can get people the access to the counseling that they need in those moments when they desperately need that. And so those are the two things that we feel like God has asked us to do and what we have done this past year when it comes to being for our community. The next is being for our families. Now, pre-COVID, we had around 150 to 200 children and students coming on Sundays. And we have thousands of children and students in our community who need to be connected with who don't have the resources that they need, that, that maybe have parents that are so busy or they're disconnected from their kids' lives and not able to provide some great guidance and resources for them. And so we felt like God was saying, hey, it's time to hire a full-time uh, student director and hire more children's ministry staff to service the, the children and students and families in our community. And we've done that. We've done that this past year. We've hired Jeremy Hurley as our student director. We've hired Karen Baker and Tiffany Roddenborn as our children's ministry directors. And they are doing a phenomenal job of not only serving the, the students that are coming on Sundays or, or to our events that we're holding, but we're stepping into our community in some new ways to reach the thousands of children and students in our communities that aren't connected with us yet. And I'm not at liberty to explain some of those things yet to you, but hopefully soon. I'll be able to tell you a little bit about that and invite you to be a part of some of the things that we're doing to reach out to our families in our community in more significant ways. And then last, uh, what it means to be for the future means we need a church home. We need a permanent place uh, as our, our church home. And we've known that, that we've needed that. And so we've been on a journey for a number of years looking for that. And then this past year, actually in May, we purchased 16 acres of land down on the State Road 100 corridor which we are super excited about. Anybody excited about us having a future church home? That was our prep team uh, clapping right there. They're ready to not be doing that anymore. All right, so we tallied all this up of what it th we thought that it was gonna cost for us to start these initiatives, not to fulfill these things, not to build the building, but just begin the journey of us doing this. And, and we put together, uh, these numbers were part of ministry expenses and stepping into these future uh, in, endeavors as well. And we came up with a number of $2.5 million over a two-year time frame. Last year, when uh, I announced that, 
we all went, oh, how are we ever going to raise $2.5 million? And uh, I felt that. We felt that. I knew together God's calling us to do this. It's possible for us to reach this goal. And so what we committed a year ago to give as a church family was $2.8 million. And that to me goes back to the, our Ephesians 3.20 prayer that we've been praying since we started church. And Ephesians 3.20 basically says that God can do infinitely more than we can ask or think. And God has done more. God is doing more. And God has more for us to do as a church. So there's still much more for us to do. We've got to fulfill these initiatives that we've started. We've got to strongly support our staff and ministry leaders who are leading many of these initiatives. And we need to eventually hire more staff and expand these ministries so that we can take them to the next phase of impacting our community for Christ and working hard to remove obstacles so people can come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And again, uh, having a church home is a significant part of that. You know, one of the obstacles that we find in our community for people is that many people say, I don't know that I want to come to a church that meets in a middle school. There are some folks that think we're a gypsy church, that we're going to be here today and gone tomorrow. And uh, I encourage them, well, we've been in the middle school for eight years, and we don't plan on going anywhere until God provides us the, the next uh, place for us to be permanently and hopefully our, our new church home. So again, those are some of the things that we feel like God wants us to do to be for our community and remove obstacles so people can meet Jesus. And here's what I'm asking you to do. So number one, keep coming back in this series. We've got a lot more to talk about. There's a lot more for us to be reminded of and a lot more for us to, to understand of the part that we can play. Second thing I ask you to do is read through our four Flagler vision folder. So as you're leaving today, someone's going to hand you uh, a really cool tote bag. Isn't that exciting? Don't you want to have one of those for yourself when you go to the store or you go to the beach? Sorry. Um, these folders will be in these bags. You can use them any way you want. And uh, what I encourage you to do is to read the information in here. Uh, we've got contained in here some of the history of our church. You want to know where we came from and what we're about? It'll be explained in there. Some of the updates of what's happened in our four flag revision will be in there as well. And I encourage you, if you're new, take it and read it. If you're not new, take it and remind yourself of what it means for us to be four flagler. And then uh, the next thing I ask you to do is help us be four flagler by signing up to serve. You know, since we've reopened uh, after our COVID pandemic has begun, we've got more and more people that are coming on, on Sundays. And that means we have more opportunities for you to be a part and help us serve those people who are coming. We've got opportunities for you to serve everywhere. Our, our prep team, our connections team, our children's ministry, our student ministry, you name the, the team, I guarantee you there's a spot that you could be active in helping us serve and remove obstacles. So maybe your friends, maybe your neighbors, maybe somebody you know can come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So I encourage you to stop by our connection, uh, connection center. Next to it, there's a table where you can find a place to serve, and I encourage you to do that. And then last thing, I ask you to consider, I know I'm asking a lot, but lastly, I ask you to consider joining a Four Flagler group. So we've got these new groups that we've been experimenting with, and they're called Four Flagler Groups, where we get together, we make a three-month commitment, which is six meetings. We get together one time a month for equipping purposes, and then we get together one other time that month to serve. 
to serve somebody in our community. And we've got an information meeting coming up on March the 28th after both of our services, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. You can register for that by going to our website, theepicchurch.com. Look for our sign-ups tab, and you can register there. If you don't register, you can show up anyway. We would love for you to come and hear how you can be a part of that. So those are some of the things that I think that we can do as a church to help remove obstacles from people so that they can meet Jesus. Now, we're going to close here. Just a minute, our worship team is going to come out, and they're going to close us in a final song. And this song is called Good Grace. There's this great line in the song that says, God is madly in love with you. And as we are singing today, I encourage you, if you have never embraced that truth this morning, I encourage you today to allow that truth to saturate your mind. God is not mad at you. God is madly in love with you. God is for you. And I think we need to understand that and embrace that and learn how to live that all week long. Now, if you understand that truth, I encourage you while you're singing today, I encourage you to light a passion in your heart for carrying that message to other people around you. There are thousands of people who do not believe that God is for them, who do not believe that God is madly in love with them. And you can help solve that problem for them. You can remove an obstacle so that they can understand a truth that will radically change their lives. And I hope and pray that you and I will do that together. So if you would, stand with me. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. So God, thank you for, Lord, just this opportunity for us to be reminded of this powerful verse in Romans chapter 8. Lord, this powerful verse that reminds us that that you are for us, that you're not against us, that you're madly in love with us. Lord, so many people don't understand that. So many people just have no idea that that's a a real way that you feel about them. Lord, some of the reality of, of that comes from we as Christ followers who aren't doing a good job of carrying that message into our world. So Lord, I pray that that you would light a fire in all of our hearts, that we would live with passion and purpose like the Apostle Paul did in his life. He made it his purpose to tell everybody about God's amazing grace for them, that God is for us. He's not against us. Help us to share that message with people around us every day. In Jesus' name, amen.